you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Aren't you glad you know the name tonight? You know his name is powerful. Why don't you give him an ovation of praise in the house tonight? God, you're worthy. God, you're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. Hallelujah. Well, I'm glad you're in the house of the Lord tonight. Genesis chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, and I'm going to read lengthily tonight, beginning with verse number 3 of Genesis chapter 22. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, clay wood for the burnt offering and rose up, went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass. I and the lad will go yonder to worship and come again unto you. I want you to read that fifth verse with me now. I want you to pay attention to this. And Abraham said to his young men, Abide ye here. Now watch this second phrase. And I and the lad will go yonder to worship and we will come again. We we will come again unto you. I want you to get that because you know the commandment. You know what the Lord told him to do. Go sacrifice your son. He took his son. We will go yonder to worship and we will come again unto you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and the knife and they went both of them together and Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said my father and he said here am I 
my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord, thank God, the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, Lay not thine hand upon thy lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Now, if I was to give you a very clear biblical account here, those of you seasoned saints that have been around a while know that this story has a beautiful and perfect parallel to Jesus Christ being the lamb caught in the thicket that was sacrificed in our stead. And we can see all the beautiful analogies tonight, but I'm not going there. I'm not preaching in that angle tonight. I'm coming from a whole different angle. And if I was to give you the crux of my assignment tonight, and I'm going to tell you before I get there that without help tonight, I am going to walk away feeling like I perhaps have failed you. But if you will connect with what God is wanting to do in this house tonight, there is no telling what God is going to do before we leave this house tonight. So if I was to give you the crux of my assignment, God told Abraham, go to the mountain and sacrifice his son. But Abraham being the man of God that he was, knew the faithfulness of God and the desire of God. And he knew what would get the attention of God. And Abraham said, me and the lad will go yonder to worship and we will come again. And in the midst of his worship, Abraham looked and saw the ram caught in the thicket. I want you to find a neighbor that you can trust right now because this is going to take a little interaction. I want you to tell your neighbor, if I will praise him now, he will do it later. Come on, find somebody to tell him, if I will praise him now, he will do it later. By the help of the Lord tonight, I'm going to preach a message titled, Worship While You Wait. 
Lord, we need your help tonight. Do what only you can. Minister through your word and by your spirit tonight into every heart. Break every yoke and every chain. Loose us and let freedom to worship move into this house tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Turn to your neighbor and tell him worship while you wait. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, I know I just asked you to be seated, but here's what I want you to do right now. Right while you're seated, I want you to lift up your hands, and I just want you to send some praise up to the Lord right now. Would you do that? Come on, let's just take a little while and offer some praise up to the Lord right now. Come on, praise him for his excellent greatness. Praise him for his awesome power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him because of who he is. Come on, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord tonight. While you praise, I want you to listen. While you're praising, I want you to listen. You know what you hear tonight? You are hearing the proper sound of waiting right now. Hallelujah. Worship while you wait. David wrote in Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times and whose praise, his praise shall what? Shall continually, hold on, hold on Dylan, don't leave me, don't leave me, don't leave me. His praise shall continually, everybody say continually, be in my mouth. Now that word continue, continually has a very interesting dynamic in this scripture. The scripture, all scripture is powerful. This specific verse gives us some particular direction. I will bless the Lord at all times, good times and the bad times. And his, not my praise to withhold from him, it is his praise to begin with. I'm not praising the preacher, I'm not praising the singer, it's his praise and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. That word continually means to sustain praise. Now, I, I asked Dylan to stay on the keys tonight, and he didn't know he didn't know this was coming. I just told him to stay on the keys, and he had no idea what I was doing. But I want to illustrate something to you tonight with what it really means to sustain. Now, I want you to listen here just for a moment. I want you to listen here for a moment. Now, I want you just to give us a note. No sustain. No sustain. Just give me a note. Just one note. I want you to give me another note.
when the scripture says, praise ye the Lord, what it sounds like in heaven is a note. But when our praise is continually sustained praise, everybody say sustained praise. When our praise is sustained, there is a whole different dynamic in how it affects the atmosphere. Now, I want you to use that, what's that pedal called down there at the bottom? A, a sustained pedal. Now, those of you that know music think that I'm oversimplifying something, but I'm giving you a, a, a music lesson tonight. Now, I want you to use the sustained pedal, and I want you to give us a sustained note right now. See the difference when your praise is just a moment. It's just a hand clapping over. It's just a hallelujah and over. But what the writer here is telling us is that he will bless the Lord at all times, good times and bad, and his praise shall sustain in my mouth. If I could get somebody tonight to understand, it means perpetual, continual, sustained. What we, what we are being challenged to do is to offer unto God sustained praise. This is why when we enter into the house of the Lord, we ought to not come in the house of the Lord and sit on our hands and close our lips but we should come and let the fruit, <laughs> I'm in the word tonight, the fruit of your lips is yours. Praise. And the Lord doesn't just want you to give him a note, but he wants you to give him sustained praise. That's why your hallelujah ought to not just be one little hallelujah because they asked me to say hallelujah, but there ought to be a continual praise that flows out of you. We need to offer unto God some sustained praise in our life every day in the good time and in the bad time. This is more than just noise. It is what we are to do while we wait on God. The whole idea of waiting on God means sitting and doing nothing and just standing by and seeing what God is going to do. I'm going to tell you I don't find anywhere in Scripture where I'm given the directive that my praise is to stop while I am waiting. But instead, quite the contrary, my praise ought to continually sustained come out of my mouth even even though I cannot see what God is doing. When I worship God, I am inviting the presence of God into that very moment of my life. Although we may not see what God is doing at that moment, we know that if we worship 
while we wait that God will work everything for our good and he often is working it behind the scenes. I think it would be a fair analogy tonight um, to say that Abraham's commitment to worship was the prerequisite to the provision that God already had in mind behind the scenes. Because Abraham knew some things before Abraham saw a ram caught in the thicket. He still declared the lad and I will go yonder to worship. Sometimes the call to sacrifice causes people to have all sorts of emotions. Can you imagine how Abraham must have felt when the Lord said, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to climb up Mount Moriah. And when you get there, I want you to offer your only son as a sacrifice upon the altar. Can you imagine how we would feel if that kind of sacrifice was asked of us? If we were asked to do such an incredible feat, Abraham being a man of faith, the father of the faithful, Abraham understood some things about God. And what he understood about God was that God was faithful to his word. And God had already told Abraham before he gave him a son in his old age and then tells him to take that son and sacrifice that son. He already knew that God had given him a word and that God had told him, I will make your seed like the sands of the sea. I'm going to multiply your seed throughout the Abraham already knew this about God. And so when Abraham said, take your son up the mountain and sacrifice your son, Abraham looked back on the promises of God and he said, I already know that God's already working something out for my good. Hey, fellas, here's what I want you to do. Y'all just just wait right here and me and the lad are going yonder but when we get there I'm not going yonder to worry I'm not going yonder to fret but I am going yonder to worship if Abraham had have gone yonder to worry he would have never witnessed the provision that would save his son and save him from a lifetime of grief and despair. I want you to understand tonight that your worship creates an environment where God will work on your behalf. I'm going to half teach, half treach, and then we're going to fully respond at the end of this message tonight. Your worship welcomes God into your dilemma. I know we all want to understand and I know we all want to see what God is going to do before we commit to full participation. But I wonder how many in this room this evening could establish in their life right now 
regardless what you're going through, regardless what you are facing. Is there somebody in this room that could lift a hand and say, I have some things in my life that I need God to do. There's some, I need God to come through on my behalf. Come on, we're real folks in the house tonight. We came in this building with worries and frets and needs and issues and situations and we, we just don't even know what in the world God, without God, we, we, we don't know what, we don't know what we're going to do about some of these situations. My family may be on the line. My, my child may, may be on the line. But Abraham said, I, I, I'm going to go yonder and I'm going to worship although I know what has been asked of me and I know what lays ahead of me in the physical realm. But I also know a faithful God that is able to cause a ram to get caught in the thicket that is able to save me from the despair and the struggle. Don't think Abraham climbed the mountain expecting to find a ram caught in the thicket. All he knew is God will supply, will provide himself a sacrifice. And so in the middle of it, he said, the lad and I will go yonder to worship. While I'm still in the dilemma the lad and I will go yonder to worship. Your worship invites God into the atmosphere of whatever it may be. Whether it's good or whether it's bad. Whether it's health or whether it's healing. Whether it's fam famine or whether it's feast, your worship invites God into the atmosphere, into your situation, into whatever the function of that moment in your life may be. If you're seeking God for wisdom in a situation, worship is the wisest thing that you can do while you're waiting on God to come through and show you his power and his might. There is an extraordinary spiritual power that is in your worship. I, I have learned some things in my life about worship. I, I've, I've learned from some of you about worship. I, I've learned from some of my family members about worship. Worship is exclusively God-focused. Worship will keep you connected to God. Worship will support a godly perspective. I'm trying to help somebody tonight understand the importance of why when we walk in the doors of this building before every service we ought to come in with a with a predetermined disposition. I don't know what this service is going to be like but I know this much. I am going to offer unto him a sacrifice of worship because when we begin to worship we invite God into our our moment into our situation into this very moment of whatever's going on in your life or somebody else's life when we come in and begin to worship the enemy becomes confused because your worship confuses the enemy now your worship is more than just making noise while you're in church. Mm -hmm. 
Some people say, well, it's not my personality. You need to get a new one. Worship is a biblical way of putting God on the throne above my thoughts, above my imagination, above the whole human realm. Worship establishes God on the throne above me, meaning it doesn't matter how I look. It doesn't matter what somebody thinks about me. It doesn't matter what somebody else says. See, the only people that have problem with worship are not worshipers. It's non-worshipers. I've never seen a worshiper have a problem with somebody else's worship, but it's a non-worshiper that has a problem with somebody else's worship. Is that really required? Do we really need need to do that. Is it really biblical? I'm trying to help somebody tonight to understand that your life could change and everything in your life could change if you would make up your mind in this room tonight. I may not be anything else in the church or in the kingdom, but I am going to be a worshiper. Worship's more than noise. Worship is more than being Pentecostal. Worship is being biblical. If faith is the beating heart of a Christian spiritual anatomy, then praise is the healthy pulse. Let me help you with that. I can check somebody's pulse by watching their praise. Because if, if faith is the heartbeat of God, then praise is the life-giving flow into the active body. When faith looks back upon God's wondrous deeds of redemption, we can't help but turn around and start being thankful. We praise him for parting the Red Sea with a word. We praise him for killing giants with a shepherd's sling. Yet faith goes still further. Not content to praise God only on the far side of deliverance. Faith teaches us to praise God before the deliverance ever comes. I just told you everything I'm going to tell you tonight. I'm just going to tell you a bunch of different ways until somebody in this place decides I'm going to put down my pride. I'm going to put down my stubbornness against praise and worship. I'm going to set some things aside in my life, and I am going to begin to be a praiser and a worshiper. If I don't accomplish anything else or do anything else, I'm going to worship and I'm going to praise. You can work against God. You can try to stop God. But when somebody begins to praise, God's going to show up in the middle of their praise. That's why one comes to church and leaves blessed and another comes to church and worries. It's the difference between whether they worshiped while they were waiting or they were worrying while they were waiting. Oh, come on, give God some sustained praise in this house.
We've got to learn to worship God not only after he's parted the Red Sea, but while the Egyptian army is pressing in upon his people. We've got to learn to not only worship God after Goliath is dead, but we've got to worship God while Goliath is taunting the armies of the living God. We can't wait to worship God after he has shown up and rolled away the stone from the tomb, but during the silence of a dark Saturday, we've got to decide I'm going to worship him because there's something going on that I am unable to see. I'm going to begin to worship him because I know that he's faithful. David shows us in Psalm, our praise does not arise effortlessly. As a matter of fact, Praise often requires extreme effort on the part of suffering humanity. I find nowhere in the scripture except one instance where people are excused when it comes to praise. I've got one instance. You can't say, I'm not worshiping God because I don't feel good. Don't find it in Scripture. But there's one instant where the Bible gives an excuse and tells us, it said, the dead praise not the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Everything else in Scripture is to give praise. The birds that sing give praise. The winds that blow give praise. Your voice gives praise. Your hand clap gives praise. Your ovation unto him gives praise. We're to praise him upon the cymbals and upon the organ. We're to praise him on the loud cymbals. We're to praise him with a timbrel and a dance. It says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Everything that's breathing has a commandment to give praise unto the Lord. Not just when things are going good, but even and when you're worried and you're fretting you got to stop because when you stop praising him in the middle of your situation I promise you God is going to be working something behind the scenes that you don't even know about but you're going to look up and there's going to be a lamb a ram caught in the thicket in Psalm David said I'll sing unto the Lord because he hath done bountifully with me. This shows the human dimension of praise. Stay with me here just for a moment. Give me 15 more minutes. Will you do that? There is a human dimension of praise and worship. We live in the human dimension of praise and worship. We experience it every week. I come to church sometimes and know, oh God, you've got to help me. You've got to help me. You know why? Because we get locked in the human dimension of praise and worship. We praise him because of what he has done. We praise him because I feel good. I praise him because he woke me up. I praise him because I got a check in the mail. I praise him because my kids are doing good. But when things are 
are not going good and I'm not happy and I'm not feeling good, then my in the human, in the human realm, in the human dimension of praise, it begins to affect us and we get down and it's kind of like, well, I wonder what's wrong with them tonight. I tell you what it is. They're accustomed to praising God in the human dimension. The human dimension praises God after he has answered. The human dimension and up gives God glory after that he has saved your child, after he has worked for your good, after he has healed you. You come in and man, God, we're going to have the victory. We fasted and prayed all week. It's awakening time. God saved people. We baptized people. Man, we're liable to have a runaway service tonight. I expect it when we're praising him in the human dimension of praise. But I came to remind you that the faith dimension of praise is a level of praise, a dimension of of praise. The faith dimension of praise begins to worship not after the fact, but faith begins to worship before the fact. Faith says God has told me to go climb the mountain and sacrifice my son. The human dimension of praise would say, oh, this is a sad day. This is a bad day day. Our work is in frustration. Our labor is in frustration. Everything we do is in frustration. We climb the mountain frustrated. We climb the mountain weary. We climb the mountain worried. But the faith dimension of praise said, boys, y'all wait here. Me and the lad is going yonder to worship. But faith says we're coming back. I know God told me to go do this, but I got enough confidence that we are coming back. Somebody ought to catch what I'm preaching right now and you ought to start worshiping God for that lost family member. You ought to start worshiping God for the answer that you can't see. You ought to start worshiping God for the situation that is not yet resolved. Give me just a few more minutes. There's more to praise than noise. While praise has a sound. Psalm 150. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. When you praise the Lord with breath, there is going to be a sound. And then it begins to tell us all the different ways. Every one of them includes sound. Because praise has a sound. Your worship has a sound. But there's more to praise than emotion. People say, well, pastor's just trying to get people all emotional. There's more to this worship thing than emotion. People say, well, I'm not emotional. That's why I don't do this. No, you need God. You need faith. And you need a clear understanding of what worship is going to do. Well, I don't need anything from God. Worship isn't about you. It's about Him. 
It's because I understand what he desires for me. He desires my worship and praise, so it's not about me. I'm going to do what he wants to do. Just as much as your holiness is not about you. Oh, man, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do this, and I wouldn't go there, and I wouldn't dress like that. Hold on with me. But will you give him praise? Will you give him worship just because you know that he's worthy and just because he desires it? So there's more to praise than noise, and there's more to worship than emotion. While worship requires emotion. It's more than emotion, but it requires emotion. That's why you can't come to church and sit with a blank face and tell me you're ready to go to heaven. I'm not sure. Because I'm checking your pulse right now. You know what this message is doing right now? You're in the ER, and I'm checking your pulse to see where you are spiritually tonight, where, whether you are, whether your heart is still beating, whether the blood is still flowing through your veins, because if there is worship within you, if the blood is flowing within you, you're going to move beyond a dimension of the human realm. That's normal. That's where we are. We clap because we're asked to. We sing because we asked to. We stand because we're asked too. But when we move to the arena, to the dimension of faith, we begin to worship him because of who he is and because his word declares, I already know what he's able to do. I know there's a lot coming. I know there may be a lot in front of me, but I once was young and now I'm old. But I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I may be going up the mountain of sacrifice. Sit down for a minute. Maybe going up the mountain of sacrifice, but I will worship while I climb up the mountain. Your worship is the best offering that you can give the Lord. Many worship through the lens of a consumer. The lens of a consumer says, What's in this for me? Particularly tonight, Pastor decided to preach on worship, and I'm a little miffed at him, so I'm going to sit and I'm going to look around and act disinterested in what he's preaching. You ain't hurting me, you're hurting God. It's not my praise, it's his praise. I, I, I want to meddle real bad tonight. Some of us have a philosophy. That if there's nothing in it for me, then I'm not going to participate. Let me tell you, that's selfish. And worship unto God, it shows that you are selfless because it has nothing to do with you. As a matter of fact, it will cost you something. That's why David said, I won't offer unto God that which costs me nothing. His praise and his worship, the man of praise and worship, he, he worshiped until it cost him. As a matter of fact, it cost him his reputation because he danced before the Lord until Michael looked and said, what in the world is he doing? And when she did and began to criticize him, he worshiped all the more. Your worship is an act of faith and a proclamation of your trust in God. Your worship is the best offering that you can give him. 
if I worship because of what I get out of it, if, if, I, if I don't see what I get out of it, then I refuse to participate. But worship is about what God gets out of it. I want every leader in this church to hear your pastor tonight. If you lead anywhere in this church, if you lead anywhere in this church, myself as the pastor and God expects you to be a leader in worship. Some of you are not too decided whether you're going to clap for that. Don't come tell me how much you know if you don't know how to worship. Somebody in this house ought to say, I understand what the pastor's preaching tonight. I've got to engage in worship. My family needs to see me worshiping. A new convert needs to see me worshiping. Give me a few more minutes now. I want every father and every head of household to hear your pastor tonight. If you lead your family in any way, God desires for you to be a leader in worship. If you miss anywhere else, there is one place that God desires most, and that is that you would worship him. For he is seeking such who would worship him in spirit and in truth. If worship wasn't important, why would the primary job of the angels in heaven be to give God praise? 24-7 around the throne. Oh, I don't know about all that. That's not important. You know what? God cared so much about it that he created angels, and he said they're going to do it because they have to. It's their job. But I'm also going to put will within mankind, and I'm going to allow him to choose. And what I really want is not for you to compliment me because you have to, but I want you to worship me because you want to, because it's got to be worship from my heart, not worship because I'm commanded, not worship because it's the primary job of the angels. He said, I'm creating man a little lower than the angels so that they will worship me with a pure heart and a true heart unto God. All right. I'll preach a little longer. If worship wasn't important, why would praise and worship be the most taught theology in Scripture? Am I in the Word tonight? Our praise and our worship isn't about our victory, our success, or even our deliverance. It's about us recognizing His power, His worth, and his faithfulness. Our worship should not be about our preferences. Doesn't matter whether I like the style of music or not. Doesn't matter where the environment is set perfectly for me to worship because worship's not about me. Why did God choose 
instruments and music. Why do we bring instruments and music in the church? Very biblical. The only thing that I can understand, the only way, that the only real reason is because it helps us while we are in service, while we are participating in active worship. Music assists us. It creates an environment and it assists us in being able to offer him sustained praise. Because when it's just my voice saying, hallelujah, praise God, hallelujah, praise God, thank you Jesus. And it's just one, and it's another, and it's another. But when we bring music into the element, when music comes into the element, it begins to fill the room, and it creates a sense of sustained worship. So then my hallelujah and my praise begins to flow, and it becomes easier for someone because God makes room for our for, for our frail human air arena, our human dimension of praise and worship, and what God is trying to do is is to move us from the human dimension into the faith dimension. And so he starts in our human dimension and he says, I'm going to let you praise him on the timbrel and I'm going to have you praise him on the organ and I'm going to have you praise him on the drums and I'm going to have you sing unto the Lord because there is a sustained praise that is created that hopefully will move you out of the realm of humanity and into the realm of faith where we can begin to see God the way he is. He becomes greater than my problem. He becomes greater than the dilemma when I get to the top of the mountain. Can I go a little further tonight? Your worship may be the conduit for somebody else's blessing. Want to let that set in? Abraham's worship. Me and the lad are going to go yonder to worship. Abraham's worship didn't just save him from the grief of losing his son. But his commitment to worship saved his son's life. Mm. God's provision for Abraham was salvation to Isaac. It was provision to Abraham. Abraham, it was salvation to Isaac. Let me talk to some seasoned saints in the house. You know why it's important to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise? You know why it's important that you clap your hands, you sing, you stand, you engage, you support preaching, you come forward. You know why? Because it may be just provision for you. I just God's going to bless me with another day. It may just be provision for you, but it may be salvation for one of these young men or one of these young ladies that's confused and wondering where God is in the middle of their situation. Situation. Your praise and worship may be just a convenience for you. It may be salvation for them. Yeah. 
if we only see what praise and worship does for us, we'll miss out on the whole idea of this message. We'll miss out on the idea of what happens through worship while we wait on God to answer. I can only imagine, just a few more minutes, I can only imagine when Israel was commanded to march around the walls of Jericho. Lord, I hope you never ask me to lead CLC to march around the walls of Jericho. Lord, because I got about 45, 50 people that's going to be right there marching with me, and I got other people I'm going to have to convince to march. I can only imagine when Israel was commanded to march around the walls of Jericho. After the first day, nothing happened. Oh, I can imagine those that they had to prod and push and come on, worship, come on, walk, come on, come on. God told us to do this. Come on, let's do this. Let's do this. Come on. And I can just imagine get to the end of the day and I could imagine all the negative folks getting up together, folding their arms, snickering around the campfire. Mm-hmm. I told them that. I, I, I knew there wasn't nothing. What, what, what's, what is they, what's, what's the leader thinking? What's Pastor Moses thinking? He told us to march around the walls. The walls are going to fall down. That's, a, that's just silly. That's silly. God, did, God, the Lord just said march around the walls and so he marches and and he gets there and nothing happens and day two he says well folks uh, it's time to march again and they march and nothing happened and day three they march and nothing happened and they come back to church on the fourth Sunday and they worship and nothing happened and they march the walls on the fifth week and on the fifth day and nothing happened and they back to church on Sunday night and they, they worship and they give their best and they're exhausted and they're tired and nothing happened and they they get frustrated and they murmur about Moses and they're struggling with, uh, with everything that is going on and they, they're frustrated about everything that is happening around them. I, I, I don't really understand. I, I don't know why. I, 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 I just don't know why that Joshua would tell us to do such a thing. Why in the world are we marching? Why in the world are we walking around these walls? I could imagine what it looked like and what it felt like perhaps some felt like quitting they felt like stopping because they were marching only in the human dimension of worship but there was a few that that, that kept on saying come on I'm going to march so you'll march with me so you got one marching in the, in the dimension of faith and you got two others over here marching in the dimension of humanity But come on, I'm trying to help somebody tonight. I'm trying to tell you what you're doing when you enter into the prayer room before service and when you worship during service is that there's some folks that may not get it and they're like, I don't see what all this is about. I don't see God doing anything. You just say, come on, worship with me. Come on, walk with me. Come on, march around the walls with me. When they wanted to stop, God commands them, keep walking, keep marching. It probably looks silly to some. And then comes the seventh day. Leaders, if you think that it's difficult to get the whole group to march around the wall one time a day for six days, 
imagine what it would be like to tell a bunch of tired and weary people that have already marched around the wall every day for the last six days, get up a little extra early and eat a few extra Wheaties today because today we're going to march around these walls seven times. I ain't marching around that silly. I've been here six days and God hasn't done anything. But listen, you know what happened when they began to march? When they got to the end of the seventh, he, he said, now you're not even done with that. But what you're going to do now is now in your tired and weary and weak condition, now I'm going to have you shout. And the Bible said that when the people shouted that the walls fell down flat. I came tonight to tell somebody that in the middle of your situation, if you'll just keep on worshiping, it may not, I don't really need any. You keep worshiping because somebody else may need you to help them see the victory when the walls fall in their life, when it's their child that's saved, when it's their situation that's turned around. I'm closing tonight. Music can come and get ready. I want you to consider when Jehoshaphat appointed singers. Watch, watch. Jehoshaphat placed the worshipers ahead of the warriors. Trying to let it set in a little bit. He placed the worshipers ahead of the warriors. There's a lot of folks, oh man, I'd die for this. Will you worship for it? Will you worship for it? Because he took, Jehoshaphat took and appointed the singers and placed them in front. Worship is our first line of defense against the enemy. I'm going to try to bring this all together so you can understand it. Worship is the first line of defense against discouragement. Worship is the first line of defense against boredom. You want your family saved? You ought to be an extravagant worshiper. Beca you prone to discouragement? You ought to become a worshiper. You prone to getting bored in church? You ought to become a worshiper. Notice God didn't work on their behalf until they started worshiping. And while they worship, the Bible said that God set ambushments against the enemy. You know what that means? That means they didn't do it themselves. They didn't figure it out in human reasoning. It wasn't the human realm. It wasn't God set ambushments. God did it. You want God to work on your behalf? Become a worshiper. Do you believe that if Abraham 
would have had a different attitude going up that mountain. If he would have walked up that mountain mad at God, refusing to do what God asked, I got a feeling that there wouldn't have been two come back down that mountain. But when he went up the mountain with the attitude, me and the lad are going yonder, he didn't even say God told him to go sacrifice his son. He didn't even say I'm going yonder to do something that's very painful and cost me a whole lot to sacrifice. He said I'm going yonder to worship. If I can just get to the house of God and worship, what I'm trying to get through to you tonight is if some of us will just get to the house of God and say, I'm going to worship. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise will continually be in my mouth. This is more than just noise. It's the sound of waiting. It's the sound of waiting. God hasn't come through for you. Just keep on worshiping. Come on all over this building right now. Where you are, would you just begin to worship God? Would you begin to thank God for his provision? Would you thank God for saving your family? Would you thank God for doing it already? I'm not seeing it, but I'm worshiping in him for it. I'm praising him for it in advance. Come on, you've got a reason to worship God. You've got a reason to praise God. Come on, child of God, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not human reasoning. They're not brain power. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Somebody ought to create an environment in this house for God to work on your behalf or on somebody else's behalf. Come on, let's leave this house worshiping him tonight. the victory. Hey. 